Well, this morning we're going to read from the book of Luke. If you've been with us over the last number of weeks, we've been looking at different parables. And this morning we're going to look at Luke chapter 12. So Luke chapter 12 this morning. If you're reading from a pew Bible or you can find a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 1045. So Luke chapter 12. And we're going to begin to read here at verse 13. And this is a parable that perhaps we're familiar with at a harvest service. You might know it or recognize it from a harvest service. But we're going to look at it afresh here this morning and what it has to teach us. So Luke chapter 12, beginning to read at verse 13. And this is God's word to us. Someone in the crowd said to him, and this is to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to him, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of goods laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or, what your body, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more value are you than the birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. And this morning, as we continue in worship, we're coming to God's Word. So if you have your Bible or the Pew Bible, please do open it with me to Luke chapter 12. We're going to be scanning through this whole chapter. We're going to be 
focusing in on the section that we read, but we'll pick up bits and pieces, little verses from here and there in the chapter as we try to put it all together as one big picture. And this morning, what we're going to think about is how do we as Christians think like Christians? It's something we are often really, really bad at. How do we as Christians think like Christians? It's okay on a Sunday, whenever we're here and we're in church and we're wearing perhaps our church clothes and we're singing songs to our God, it's really easy for us to think like a Christian. But maybe this afternoon or tomorrow morning or on Thursday, whenever everything in work has been going really, really bad and perhaps there's loads of stress in your life, it's really difficult for us to think like a Christian. So this morning, we are going to hopefully see how can we think best like a Christian. And I wonder when the last time you had to change your mind on something was. You had to change your opinion or you had to change your view. You'd got something wrong. You had to make a different decision. Well, I was sharing this morning with some of the men at the door about what happened to me yesterday. Well, yesterday morning at about 11 o'clock, my dad came into the house and I said, Dad, where, where were you this morning? And he said, I was down at the moss. And I said, what were you doing down at the moss? And he said, there was one of the cows that got stuck in the moss. One of Uncle James's cattle had got stuck in the moss. And I was like, right, how, how is it? And he was like, well, it's totally into the back legs, okay? So it's totally in and, and stuck. But he says, Uncle James said, it's no bother him and his son Bradley. They're going to get it out. It'll all be okay. Well, that was at 11. At 12.30, we got a phone call from, from Uncle James to say, ah, Thomas, that's my dad, Thomas, ah, uh, I don't think we're going to be able to get this cow out. Is there any chance that you and John could come and give us a hand? And it wasn't just Dad and myself that came. It was my cousin Adam uh, and another friend, and there was about six of us there that had to pull this cow out. Uncle James had to change his mind, right? He had to change his mind. He got it wrong, this big cow that was stuck in the moss. And thankfully, after a little bit of sweat and pulling and hard graft, we were able to get the cow out of the moss. Now, he had to change his mind had to change his mind. He had got something wrong, and a change had to be made. Similarly, in my life, what did I get wrong? Well, lots of things, but whenever I was younger, I always thought that the, the big clock in the center of Portadown, I thought that was Big Ben. Pulled everybody, it was Big Ben, right? <laughs> and one day, I was in town with mom and dad, and I said to mom and dad, mom and dad, Big Ben's ringing. And they're like, John, that's not Big Ben. <laughs> devastated, absolutely devastated. I got it wrong, right? And we get things wrong all the time. We get it wrong, but whenever it comes to Christ, whenever it comes to thinking like Christ, if we're a Christian here this morning, then we have to follow him, and we have to change our mindset from the things of this world. The world infects us. It starts to get a grip on our mind. It starts to warp how we think. And if we're Christians here this morning, if we are saying that we're living to follow Jesus— we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we've experienced the forgiveness of the Father, then the gospel has to transform our minds. We cannot be Christian and say that the gospel doesn't transform our minds. It does. Look at verse 34. In our passage, we see it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the core of this passage. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this morning for us, if we're serious about our faith, if we're saying that we're trusting in Jesus, if we're saying that we're a disciple or that we're saved or converted or transformed or born again, whatever way you like to phrase it, then the gospel should change our mind. How we view things, how we process things, how we act, how we react, how we are motivated— how we think. 
And if we were to take an assessment, a little survey of our life, so far up to date in our Christian walk, does our heart, does the way that we view things, process, act, react, motivated, and think, do they show our treasure to be the Lord Jesus? And as we reflect upon our life, sadly, often we have to come up with the true and honest answer that they don't. And this morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian, isn't it true that you think that Christians should be different from everyone else? That they should act differently and think differently? They should be attractive because Christ is working in them? And that's right. We should be. Now, the aim of this parable, as we look at it, the aim of it wasn't to make people feel guilty or to feel bad, but the, the, the whole point of this parable is to show people that Jesus came to save sinners. And he came to give them life. You see, Jesus is teaching here, salvation isn't just a free one-way ticket. But whenever the gospel comes, whenever you experience the supernatural wonder of the gospel, everything changes about you. So the logic of this passage, we can see it here. Verse, join with me in the verse 7. You'll see it here. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. What Jesus is trying to teach here in this section in chapter 12 is this, that you're loved. And that's where he starts, that you're loved, that God knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. For some, that's less than others this morning. But he knows how many hairs are on your head. You're loved. Then he follows in the verse 8 and the verse 9, and he tells you, look, because you're loved, you don't deny me. Because you're loved, because you belong to me, because you're part of my family, you own me in the sight of men. You don't disown me. And he frames this all in an eternal consequence, right? It's an eternal frame around it. In light of eternity... You're loved. You do not deny me. You belong to me. And as he teaches this, then someone comes in verse 13 and brings up this trivial issue of an inheritance. As Jesus has just described him, how the King of kings and Lord of lords knows everything about you, how he has loved you, how he's accepted you, how he owns you and, and has brought you in and adopted you into his family, how you should own him and respect him and speak for him. And in the midst of this great sermon, somebody comes, Jesus, Jesus, look, my brother, I want him to split my inheritance with me. You can imagine Jesus putting his head in his hands, thinking to himself, have you not listened to anything that I've just said? But Jesus takes this opportunity, and he teaches something really important to this man and to us through this parable. And you see, often for us, we, we read this passage, and if you're like me, the way that we've read it in the past is that, that Jesus is shouting at this man, that he's getting at him, that, he's, that he's, he, he's provoking him. And yes, he's provoking him, but he's not doing it in a tone that's shouting. If we read at this, if we read it differently, verse 15, not a shout, but a tender, watch out, be in your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life, can you hear him saying it? A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Life isn't there, Jesus is trying to show him. And then he teaches this parable. So our first point this morning <clears throat> is this, with two points. Our first one is this. It's all about the Savior and not about stamps. 
It's all about the Savior and not about stamps. I'm using stamps not as in I think that everybody here is obsessed with collecting stamps. I know that you're not. Um, Some people might be, but I mean as in collecting things of this world. It's all about the Savior and not about the little things that we hoard or we collect. Life doesn't consist here, Jesus says, in possessions. Whenever I was younger, uh, I was obsessed, like most young people, with Pokemon cards. And if you had a young person in your life, uh, whenever I was uh, P7, sort of going into first year clown, Pokemon cards were the whole rage, right? And I remember one particular instant, I can't remember why or what was going on, but I remember that I begged mom and dad, I mean, I went on and on and on, could we go down to Woolsey's, the local filling station, and could we get this little packet of cards? And it came in a little square box that was about that size, and there was two halves, to a deck of cards in one and a deck of cards in the other. And you wanted these Pokemon cards, you wanted, if anybody knows Pokemon, like Charmander and Blastoise and all these different little creatures, so you go into school and be like, look, I've got this one, I'll trade you it, and you try to get this full collection. The little tagline, go and catch them all. Okay, I promise you, I'm not interested in Pokemon any longer. It was just back then. But look, I begged mum and dad, and I think for a packet of these cards, it was about 15 pounds, which is a lot of money for cards. And I begged mum and dad, go, please, can we get, please, can we get, please, can we get. I remember dad was in the shower, and I was still going on with him, can we please get these cards? Eventually, mum and dad said, John, right, you can get the cards. I think there was some sort of deal struck that I had to do something in the house, hoovering or changing the beds or something to get the cards. But anyway, got the cards. And I remember, I don't remember much about what cards were there, but I distinctly remember this. I went on and on and on so much about them. Whenever I got them, I was gutted because there were so many duplicates of the ones that I already had, right? But I, I knew that I couldn't show that to mum or to dad. So I had to pretend to mum and dad that I was absolutely delighted with this little packet of cards. Whenever in my heart, I was like, I really want another set to try and get another set of cards to try and collect them all. But that's a little reflection of what it's like for us in life. Because on a bigger scale, what we do is we do exactly that. Now, we don't beg our mums and dads, but we beg ourselves and we work really hard to get these things in our life, whatever it may be whatever it is that you collect, whatever it is that you're after, whatever it is that you search and drive and strive after. And then what happens is you get it and you have to pretend because you're disappointed. After a little while, it all wears off, but you pretend to everyone else like you're incredibly happy. These things are giving me fulfillment, but they're really not. And the irony of it is this, that materially, we are wealthy, but spiritually this morning, we are bankrupt. Materially, look at the wealth of this congregation, this gathering of people here this morning. Look at the wealth that we could amass. Great wealth materially, spiritually, where are we at? And you see, this man in the passage is desirous for riches. Don't we see it? We know this passage. Look, he has a great harvest, and he wants to build bigger barns. The man sees this money, sees all the blessing that he has had, and he's thinking to himself, look, I'm going to go plan. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll do the other thing. And this man that comes to Jesus, he's looking at his inheritance. Why? Because he's afraid of missing out on the money. The money has said to him this, if you lose me, you're going to lose a very big part of your life. If you lose me, you'll lose what your life can be. I am your life. Do you realize how big I am? Life will be real life when you have me. 
The man's looking for an abundance of riches as he comes to Jesus. You see, the wealth lures him in, and it lures us in here today to place our trust in wealth as if wealth can protect us, and it can't. Life is not about this morning having things. And we know this. Life is not about having things. But life is all about knowing God. How can you go to Africa? And I've been out in Africa once, and and you're, you're with little kids, and they have absolutely nothing. And they're playing, one of the kids that we met, they're playing a couple of them with a stick and an old tire from a bike, knocking it up and down the road. And talk about delighted, talk about a joy in their heart. Why? Because they come in and they praise God and give Him all the glory. And they understand the gospel. They've got nothing, but they've got everything. And we have got everything, and we have got nothing if we don't have the Lord Jesus. Life is not having things. Life is knowing God. Christian here this morning, if you know God, if you're trusting and believing in him, which you're telling me that you are, you're blessed. And come and bow before him this morning. Why? Because he's worthy of it all. And the challenge for us is this. How are we being greedy? How are we chasing possessions? In recent weeks, we have thought about this a little bit, about the car, about the trainers, about the new clubs or the latest handbag, the new piece of technology. And I was thinking about this this morning, and I was challenged about this in my life. What possession do we most value? And why do we value it? And if Jesus asked us this morning to sell that possession, would we? What's our most treasured possession? And if we were required to give it up for Jesus, would we give it up? And there's nothing wrong with all the possessions that we have, nothing wrong with them, but it's wrong if we start to think that life is there and life is in them. So it's all about the Savior this morning, not about stamps. And lastly, It's all about the Savior and not about self. It's all about the Savior and not about ourself. Whenever I was young, we live out in the countryside and and, uh, we live on a hill. And uh, my dream, I think I may have shared this before, my dream was always to build a house on this hill, right? That that was everything. I, I, I imagined what it would look like. I used to draw it out. If you asked me what my bedroom would have looked like, I could tell you exactly what it would look like. I could tell you what the, the windowsill would be like. I could tell you what the bathroom would be like. It would have a big blue piece of glass. It would be a walk-in shower, and I knew what the kitchen would look like. I knew what the driveway would look like. This was everything to me, everything to me. Dreamt about it, drew it, told my friends about it, but it was all to do about me and my house, and my plans, and the way I wanted it. And this man in our passage, it's all about him. In the original Greek, it talks about I eight times, and me four times. In our versions, you have it up to 19 times, you, I, and my. And the irony is that Jesus points out for us in verse 16. Look, it's nothing to do about the man. Look at verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. It's not even him that's in control of it. It's the ground. And the problem isn't that this man's successful. It isn't in that. The problem is his selfishness. Who is he living for? How is he thinking? What is his mindset? Is he thinking like a Christian? And clearly he is not. 
Look at verse 21. Verse 21 unlocks it for us. This is how you will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. This man's all about me and I and my and all about all the things that he has got. Plenty of good things. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. His plans, his way, his future, and nothing to do about God. How should he react? Well, it should read something like this. God, this is all yours. You have been so good to me. These are your fields. How can I use them to bless others, to grow your kingdom? How can I show that you're my treasure and that these riches aren't? I have more than enough. I don't need a bigger and bigger safety net. How can I give some of this away? How can I bless people? Can I have a big feast at my house? Can I give to the poor? What can I do? See, that's what being rich towards God is like. And I think this morning for us, that's something that we need to ponder on. As Christians here this morning, and as a church, what does it look like for us to be rich towards God? God is everything, right? He doesn't need anything from us, but what does it mean for us to be rich towards Him? John Piper talks a little bit about this passage, and he says that the movement of our money signifies the movement of our heart which is very true, but being rich towards God means so much more. That life doesn't exist in possessions, but as we thought about it, it exists in knowing God. Being rich towards God is having our hearts drawn towards Him. Like a romance, perhaps someone in your life, perhaps once that you fancied whenever you were at school and you knew what it was like, all you could do was think about them, you were drawn to them, wonder what they're doing now, wonder what they're at, wonder what they would like. Taking a, a glimpse of the things of this world and translating that into our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, being rich towards Him with our time and with our money, that He is our treasure, that He is our joy, that He is our satisfaction. Because whenever we get that as Christian people, whenever we understand who Jesus is and that He is our joy, it transforms everything about us. It transforms our thinking. It transforms our actions. Do you know, someone who has their joy in the Lord is a great delight to be with. I have a really privileged role. I get to go out and visit people from this congregation. And I get to visit people, Christians who have the joy of the Lord in their heart. And I'm meant to go to encourage them, but I come away encouraged by them. You get to read and pray with them. You get to see God in them, rich towards God, being drawn towards Him, counting God greater than anything else. And yet money often takes that place. And that's why Jesus warns us here this morning, money will lure us out of our love for God. It lures us away from treasuring God because we want to get possessions. This morning, I want us to, if I could, I would drive us all into this place, and I can't, but I, I, I want us all to be here, that we're in a place of sheer joy in God, that as we sing in a little moment, amazing grace, that we will sing it with all of our hearts, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, that God is our treasure, that He is our possession, and then it gives us great freedom, great, great freedom, that we can, that we can leave the things of this world that they can have no hold on us. 
whenever we go into our workplace, that whenever we don't get the promotion, that we don't kick up, but we say that was God's will for our heart and for our life. And we react differently than everybody else. Whenever everybody else is on this little race to get stuff, that we are able to stand above it and say, I have everything. And somebody said, how do you have everything? I have everything because of the Lord. And you've got nothing because you don't have him. Come to know him. Beg people to come and to see him. And as a church then, we as a church are rich towards God. That we are rich towards him in everything that we do, not just as individuals, but with our church community. We are rich towards him in our time, in our conversations, in our dreams, with our homes, with our holiday homes. You see, a church that relies upon its wealth is a poor church. It's dead. Charles Spurgeon said this about church and about being rich towards God. A church that does not exist to do good in the slums and the dens and the kennels of the city is a church that has no reason to justify its longing existence. A church that does not exist to reclaim the heathens, to fight with evil, to destroy error, to put down falsehood. A church that does not exist to take the side of the poor, to denounce injustice, and to uphold up righteousness. It is a church that no longer has a right to be a church. That's what we want here, isn't it? To be a church like that, rich towards God. Jesus knows that this is going to be a trial, He knows it's going to be difficult. So look at how he closes this section. He he, he gives us this beautiful image of the lily and of the birds. And he tells us, don't fear. To live like this is radical. To live like this means that we don't have reliance upon our bank accounts, but we are different. We live differently. Jesus knows that that's going to be difficult. It's difficult here, and it's difficult even more so now for us. But what does he say verse 32? Do not be afraid, little flock. Seek after the kingdom, verse 31. Provide purses, verse 33, that will not wear out. Treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This morning, we have to think differently. We have to think as Christians that Jesus has been our treasure. He is our treasure, and he will always be our treasure. So everything else peels into insignificance. Our challenge is this. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? Do we have that peace and joy? Do we have the joy of knowing a living God, that our happiness is in him, and that our joy is in him, so it's out of reach of all other things? Will we walk this way today? Will we come and say sorry to God for being distracted and led away with our sinfulness and with our greed? And will we ask him and beg him, Lord, teach me how to live a life that's rich towards you. I want to be rich towards you. I want to live my life for you. In the little things, in the day-to-day things, I want to be rich towards you. Jesus tells us here this morning, don't be afraid. I'm worthy of it all. Worthy of everything that we have. So let us come before him. Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Often whenever we hear a message, we, we quickly rise from it and our hearts and our minds quickly change. In the stillness here, let us 
think through this for just a moment before we respond in praise. What does this look like for me? What does it look like in my life to be rich towards God? To live life for Him and not for possessions. Father, we thank you that our joy and our happiness is hid with you on high, out of reach of all the things of this world. Father, we know that. We know that you've called us. We know that you've brought us into your family. We know that we should live differently, but sometimes we really struggle. How do we do that? Father, we want to live a rich life towards you. We don't want to live for ourselves. Help us to live a life that is worth living for you. Press upon our hearts here, Father, each of us right now, the things that distract from you, things maybe that you're requiring us to sacrifice this morning, things that we need to give up. And Father, for people here this morning that don't know you as Savior, Father, I pray that they will see you. They'll see you in all of your beauty, that life is in you and not in the things of this world, that you'll draw them out of the darkness of the pit of this world, that you'll set them upon your Son, the Lord Jesus, upon the rock that is him. Father, help us to praise you here. We're going to stand and we're going to sing an item of praise. Lord, please help us to mean it with all of our hearts to give you the praise and the glory, to have our joy in you this morning as we rejoice in who you are and what you've done for us. We thank you for your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen.